Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. like to thank W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. Good evening and welcome to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. Thank you for joining us. Uh, before we get down to business, I'm just going to tell you very briefly some really fast, important stuff. Uh, you can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamarathorne.com. You can visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com or if you tweet, our handles are at Salister and at Tam Thorne. You can also visit our Haunted Nights Live page on Facebook. Uh, for more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. All right, uh, that's done. So thank you all for joining us. Um, I am going to turn it over to Tamara, who's going to tell you a little bit about uh, her latest book, which came out, Brimstone, which just came out. So take it away, Tamara. Yeah, this is available now. It's a coming-of-age story that takes place in 1968 in a little town called Brimstone, Arizona. The Brimstone Grand Hotel, owned by reclusive former movie star Delilah Devine, looms high on Hospital Hill, harboring long-buried family secrets that whisper of unimaginable horrors, horrors that will echo down through generations. Within the walls of the Brimstone Grand, the past has come back to life, and Holly Tremaine and her grandmother Delilah are faced with an ancient familial evil that rages just below the old hotel's serene facade, an evil that won't rest until it possesses Holly, body, mind, and soul. Now I want to tell you about the other book, Alistair's new book. And um, this is uh, in conjunction, this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Alistair is our my guest. Um, and the book is The Silver Dagger. It's book two in the Vampires of Crimson Cove series. And it picks up where the Crimson Corset leaves off. So listen carefully because we're going to talk about this a lot. Life in Crimson <laughs> Cove has been good, to, been good to the Coulter brothers since Gretchen Van Treese was staked and her horde of vampires scattered. But when she rises from the grave, the brothers are torn apart, their lives and the peace between them shattered. Meanwhile, a serial killer is stalking the little mountain town, leaving a trail of blood that leads to a truth Sheriff Ethan Hunter doesn't want to face. The streets are no longer safe, nor are the forested paths, for a new and unknowable evil has come to Crimson Cove, and everyone, vampire and human alike, must come together in order to, surpri- uh, to survive. This is the first book in the Crimson, the first book, I should say, in the Crimson Cove series is the Crimson Corset. You can get it at Amazon. Um, and if you're a vampire fan, you might also want to check out its companion novel, uh, which is a Thorn and Cross novel that combines uh, Crimson Cove and My Candle Bay, and it's called Darling Girls. And so, let me tell you about tonight's guest. Um, <laughs> where is he? Here he is. Alistair Cross is the best-selling author of The Crimson Corset, The Angel Alejandro, and Sleep Savannah Sleep. In 2014, he joined forces with um, me, and together as Thorn and Cross, we've written The Cliff House Haunting, Mother, Darling Girls, and continued to pen the successful Gothic series, The Ravencrest Saga. Um, Alistair's 
latest release, book two of the Vampires of Crimson Cove series. It's available now. It just came out a few days ago. So welcome to your show, Alistair. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's such an honor. <laughs> yeah, it's just so long since I've spoken to you. It, it, it's like, how, how have you been doing? I know. <laughs> well, you know, I've aged. <laughs> <laughs> how are your cats? They're good, good, good. They're they're they don't age they're, at all. <laughs> they're vampires too, huh? Yes, so, they are. They are. <laughs> they are. Anyone who watches Alistair on the Facebook knows his kitties. Who are one of them is usually sitting on his head, and whenever she yeah. does, we have to turn on the Skype camera and watch because it's so much fun. She she basically face rapes him. <laughs> All the time, and and she she, likes, she has she no political audience. correctness. She does, doesn't <laughs> she? Yeah, that's sweet does. kitty. And does she, does she uh, inspire, or either of the cats? Um, have they inspired anything in the Crimson Cove series? Well, um, of course. Uh, in okay, so my I have two cats. The the girl is paparazzi, and mm-hmm. the boy is sort of Sir Percival, a.k.a. Percy. And, of course, in the Crimson Cove books, there is a Percy, a black and white cat. But the interesting thing is is that Percy in the book came before Percy in real life. Um, I wanted to give my uh, main character a cat, and so I gave him a tuxedo cat, and I named him Percy. And then ah, probably a year or two after the Crimson Corset came out, um, I saw a little black and white uh, tuxedo cat at the Humane Society, and uh, I named him Percy after the cat in the Crimson Cove books. So kind of, because, well, yeah, and, 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 the, and Percy in the book has more, more of paparazzi's personality, really. And so, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> now, paparazzi's such a funny name to tell people how she came to be paparazzi. Um, she just showed up at my house. She refused to to go away. I didn't. I didn't want a cat. I, you know, she she was just kind of a stray that started hanging around. I didn't want. I didn't want her. <laughs> I was nice to her, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't let her in right away. I just kind of like hi, kitty. And every time I would go in or out of the house, she'd run up. She's not. Uh, she's not shy at all. She she would run right up and meow and meow and meow. And I always got the impression that she was like a little, like part of the paparazzi. She just needed a little camera, you know, because she would chase you down and meow you every time you came in or out of your house. And so I started. She'd look in your windows too, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. And she'd look in the windows, and I started thinking of her as kind of like a, you know, like a, (laughs) the paparazzi (laughs) and uh, stalker. And then it it started getting. Uh, close to October and it was starting to get a little cold and plus you know people are not nice to black cats in October they say so mm-hmm. I finally reluctantly just said alright and just let her in and she's been with me ever since sitting on your head she's yep. such a sweetheart <laughs> she's, she's a shoulder rider yeah. <laughs> she is I, I, I can vouch for that but so, 
let's talk about your book. Um, first of right. all, the second book in the series of the Vampires of Crimson Cove. And tell us about the town of Crimson Cove. We we went there in the, the place it's based on recently when we had a road trip, and it was so much fun hearing you say, that looks like it, that looks like it. It was so great. And tell us about the real, yeah, your yeah. Crimson Cove. Well, it's a little tourist town in California. Um, it's, it's, you know, got all the, the, the typical, I wanted it to be kind of a tourist place because I want there to be a lot of traffic in and out, but I also want it to be small. So it's got, you know, a lot of people, but it's also kind of intimate. I grew up in a small town. I think that small towns make really great, creepy stories. And um, it it's, it's uh, lots of, you know, redwoods and, and their own little community and they've got, and I'm always adding to it. You know, there's always something new that I'm like, Oh, they need, you know, one of these, I love uh, creating my own towns and Crimson Cove is my, my favorite. It's uh but yeah, it's, it's a nice little getaway place. That's pretty pleasant. As long as you don't know that uh, underneath it all, it's crawling with vampires. <laughs> <laughs> and most people don't. I love this I love this place because it's in the mountains but it, they're the uh, mountains along the coast uh, so I think we can say the uh, Santa Cruz mountains not too far from Santa yeah. Cruz where some other famous vampires hung out in a certain movie but it's it's a beautiful yeah. place and it's the perfect place to to put all these vampires and and your vampires you have two factions of them living in Crimson Cove all right. Can you tell us yes. a little? Yeah. Well, one one faction that would be the Eudaimonia vampires that are uh, run by uh, Michael Ward. They are peace loving vampires who believe in um, coexisting with human beings. They do drink blood because vampires have to drink blood, but they don't believe in killing unnecessarily, and they don't even really believe in violence if they can avoid it. Uh, basically they're kind of like hippie vampires. <laughs> uh, and then on the other side of town at the Crimson Corset nightclub is Gretchen Van Treese, who uh, is the antithesis of the Eudaimonia vampires. She and her group want complete domination over the human race. They think that they are superior to humans. And they want, basically, they think humans should be slaves, you know, uh, blood slaves and sex slaves and whatever other kind of, you know, slavery you, you have a hankering for. And so you've got on two opposite sides of the same little town, um, a silent war raging at all times. That's and so great. in the center of it all, and in the center of it all is my main character, Cade Coulter, who is human but has a genetic distinction that is makes him very appetizing to both. It's hard to resist that character. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, in the first book, uh, we we in, we meet Cade, your your main character, and his brother Brooks. And Gretchen's entries, and that's what that story is primarily about, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then in this book, the sequel, uh, 
which you can read separately, but why would you not read the Crimson Corset would be my question. Um, we need <laughs> more. Can you tell us a little more about the book and, and what it concerns? Well, um, at the end of the first book, you know, um, I won't I won't give any spoilers away, but uh, they think all is well. Um, they think that they have uh, won the, the the big war or whatever, and um, that's not exactly how it really happened. So, uh, the Silver Dagger book two begins with uh, well, just the resurrection of Gretchen Van Tries, who. Uh, comes back for what she thinks is rightfully hers. Um, I introduce a lot of new characters as well. Um, uh, there is a lot going on. I will say that uh, it's, it, writing it was a balancing act. Uh, reading it yes. from the feedback I get is pretty smooth from what I'm from the feedback I'm getting. But there's a lot going on. It's uh, everybody's kind of on their own. It all ties together, but there's there's a lot going on. Another human main character that I just love is the sheriff, Ethan Hunter, and his fiancée, Sheila, who's the town mortician. Are we going to see more of them in, in the, the second book? Yes, they, um, they uh, are very much a part of the second book and the third, as a matter of fact, which I'm working on right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, because I, I, you know, I, I always feel like I, I've – the, the kind of books and movies that I like to watch and read, um, I like there to be a good, solid, uh, you know, I like to be firmly planted in reality among the humans. I, I like the idea of, of humans having a, a supernatural experience rather than, um, you know, supernatural beings yeah. just left and right. And so I, I do have a lot of vampires in this. I do have a lot of that going on, but, uh, people like like you know characters like Ethan and Sheila are kind of the you know the foundation. I think they're they're very human, <laughs> and they keep they keep things grounded. And uh, I have a lot of fun with them for that reason. It's such a nice subtle romance between them. I I really enjoy that. They're they're a real couple. Well, like real couples really are if they get along right. And well, yeah, they complement each I other. Think, I think a lot fun. of they 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 do. You've got a, a sheriff and, and a mortician, and you know they're both, uh, you know, like I said, they're human, but they're both in the know. They know what's going on in Crimson Cove, and you know they need to keep mm-hmm. that to themselves. And so it it you know not only are they, you know, kind of bonded by their professions, but also by their knowledge, and you know, yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, your your vampires now, well. First of all, before we talk about that, the vampires and the humans, as in the teaser for the book where it says they uh, have the humans and vampires have to come together, that's very true. You, you're, you're very much a uh, character-oriented writer, I think it's safe to say. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. They really carry the plot. Do they? Uh, yeah, definitely. What happens if a character says no? I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. What? How do you react to that? Um. Well, usually what happens is, uh, I know I'm on the wrong track when I just feel like I'm forcing it. Uh, the other day, as a matter of fact, because um, we work, 
you know, yeah. on Skype all day. And, and even when, you know, I'm doing my solo and you're doing your solo and I kept, you know, hitting that brick wall and I'm like, yeah, I, we can't, off I, I can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, how I know that that a character that I'm trying to force, I guess, a character. If this is if this is your question, um, mm-hmm. how I know when I'm trying to force a character to do something that they that he or she doesn't naturally want to do is I can't um, make it work. It's just like it's just like hitting yeah. a brick wall, and then I have to step back and say, you know, maybe I'm trying to force something that isn't I don't know organic. And you know, mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, that's exactly what it is. That's the only that's the only kind of writer's block, so to speak, that I've ever really experienced. And it's not a block; it's just a brick wall. It just I get stumped. I feel like I'm spinning my wheels, and and I can't move forward. And if I step back and I ask myself, okay, why? What does this character want to do? you know, nine times out of 10, I'm trying to force that character to do something that they don't want to do. And so in that way, the characters really do speak to you. It's very strange. It's very strange, but you know they how it do. goes. <laughs> it's like they're, they become very real and they know best. Yeah. And many they years do. ago, and, and I know Quinn told you this too, Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough told me that she found this out when she wanted a character to race in or to, to run away from a fire, but he insisted on racing into a stable to save the horses. And she said, she told him, you're going to die if you do that. And he says, it doesn't matter. I have to save the horses. And he died and she had to completely change the book because the vampire, or the vampire, right. <laughs> the character insisted. And we both like that story a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that's, and, and that's kind of how it works. I mean, as a matter of fact, you know, when I was writing the silver dagger, I was about halfway through it when a new character showed up and I, I kept oh, yeah. thinking, no, I just kept putting her on the back burner. Cause I'm like, no, that's not where I'm trying to go with this. If I introduce a new character now, especially one of that magnitude, it's going to change the entire dynamic of the story. And I kept putting mm-hmm. her off. And then eventually I realized if I incorporated her into the story, yes, I would have to rewrite a lot of this book, but it would reshape in a in the best possible way the entire arc of the series and so mm-hmm. i learned that you really need to listen to your instincts you need to when when somebody you know when a fictional character comes knocking on the door let him in mm-hmm. because it 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 was, yeah. it was the best thing it really was it's so hard to ask you questions about this book because we're working on a Next solos and yours is um my friend's cockatiel is going crazy right now. Um so we just read what you wrote today and so I, I have to keep my brain on this book. Um and that third book is great too. <laughs> so instead of asking you if you're gonna work on a third book, I guess we just said you are. Do you see this series yeah. is going on for a while? Uh I do. I, I don't I don't uh, I, I know that there will be an end, but I think it's as far as I can tell right now. I'm only working on the third book, so it's hard to say. But right now, I feel like it's it's got a lot more to go, quite a bit. Yeah, I, love I can it see myself doing for a so while. Many. Yeah, you have so many things you can do with this. It's it's not a one trick pony at all. Um, and because right. it's a character oriented, it's it's 
really interesting. Um, tell me about the dynamics of the brothers' relationship, Caden Brooks. Um, they're fun. They they uh oh they uh they aren't very much alike. Uh, Kate is more of a uh, uh, anti. I don't know. He's he's more uh, introverted, I guess, and more brainy. He's he's he likes to read and write, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. he's very quiet. And then you've got his brother Brooks, who's very outgoing. He likes to, you know, he likes wine, women, and song kind of. Although he's a health nut, <laughs> uh, but they but they bring out the the best in each other especially when it matters the most, I think. And I think that's why it's important that they uh, are in, in a lot of ways opposites. I think that's how it right. works a lot of times with people. Uh, it's, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses and it's that, I guess we call it chemistry uh, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term, where we balance each other out, you know, and that's what I try to do with them. Yeah. And I feel like they, they do. They do. And, and, the vampires at Eudaimonia, and Eudaimonia is a health spa. That's very convenient yeah. because the vampires can, uh, you know, get little drinks of blood. But yeah, they're kind of like hippies, but they're, they're very zen. Um, and it's yeah. so interesting. How did you come up with such zen vampires? Was it well, sort of a yin and yang thing, wondered... so to speak? Um, kind of. I mean, there's all, there's obviously, you know, at the, at the center of it all, you know, there's obviously a good versus evil theme, which is one of my favorite Mm -hmm. themes. I I love that. I think it's age old and it will always be in existence in whatever format it is that we're looking for it. Uh, but Mm -hmm. also, you know, I asked myself if, if, if you were a vampire, would you necessarily be evil? And, and if you, and to me, I say, no, not necessarily. And so if you're not necessarily evil, what would it be like to have to survive on human blood if that's not something that you wanted to do? Yeah. And so I thought, <laughs> well, I think that, that vampires have been around long enough and they're smart enough that they have probably found methods of obtaining human blood that are maybe a little more creative than, you know, running out in the middle of the night and hurting people and, uh, I, I think that that's that's a plausible idea. I, I think you know for nonviolent vampires, so that's that's kind of the the Eudaimonians. They they want to be civilized. They want to coexist. They want to be, um, they want to you know be peaceable. Yeah, that's so true. When when you were growing up, or you know before you decided to write about vampires, what vampires influenced you in in fiction, movies, books, whatever? Um, I think probably the first uh, exposure I really had to vampires was uh, Dracula, of course, when I was young. I was really young, and I uh, I read Dracula somehow, or at least most some of it. I don't know if I got through it <laughs> entirely, but I just remember reading about, you know, the Count crawling up the wall, and I yeah. just, oh, it was, it was great, and and. And around the same time that I was reading Dracula, I was this young. I was also reading, you know, like James Howe's, you know, uh, Benicula series, and and I loved <laughs> that. And then, you know, also at a really young age, I I saw Salem's Lot. Um, I always loved vampires. I was, I think, a vampire for Halloween almost every Halloween. <laughs> I just, I always <laughs> liked them. 
but that's a, that brings up an interesting question. Why do you think people like vampires so much? Um, I think there are a lot of reasons, but I think that if I had to choose one, I would say that it, it, at the very core of it all, it's probably all about eternal life. I mean, why do people like religion? Why do people like the idea of an afterlife? It's eternal life. Yeah. I, I wonder why... So probably that. Chilly people who drink blood, who bite your neck, why is that sexy? It is, but I don't understand why. Why do you think it is? Like you mean like 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 real life vampire culture? Well, no, I, I well, I suppose sure. I, I was talking about why do people, you know, Lestat and all kinds of things like that. Everybody oh, wants see. to be bitten. Yeah. Well, it's it's we've it's become something sexual. It's a form of. I mean, if you think about not to be gross, but. <laughs> If you think about sex in the most clinical terms, it's pretty gross. <laughs> yes, it is. If you think about it clinically, it's gross, right? But but yeah. there's emotions and biology, and it becomes this uh, this act of intimacy that's now all of a sudden beautiful and tantalizing. But it's really quite gross. I think <laughs> I think the same thing <laughs> is is true of of vampires. I mean, it. it on the surface, yeah, it's like, oh, you're you're sinking your fangs into my skin and sucking my blood, and that's that's gross. And it's like, no, but if you, it, it is, but if you add the desire, the need, the the, the sexual mm-hmm. element, the, the the eroticism and the spark, and not to mention the the you know, I'm I'm hungry and this feeds me, then all of a sudden, yeah. we 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 for, we forget that it's what it really is, just like we forget what sex really is. And it becomes something romantic. Mm-hmm. I think that's Very the best good. answer I've got because it's because really on the surface it's not sexy at all to me. That's the best answer I've ever heard. Yeah, seriously. I'm not just saying that because I good. like you. <laughs> that, that's excellent. You have to say that. <laughs> I I, I do, but then like I can that. give you crap behind the scenes. No, I, I I really like that answer. I think that's very good. There's a certain kink in there, and it's also fantasy kink, so it's okay. Right. You know, right. Biting. It's and a and little if bit you, naughty. If you have, and if, exactly. And if you have any kind of if you have any kind of uh, penchant for any kind of pain or, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of kink, well, then you've got that added, you know, as well if that's your thing. So yeah, it's kind of kinky. Yeah. It's sexy. It's intimate it's and it's and it's sustenance it it feeds vampires it it keeps them alive so it's even more powerful in that way than sex yeah it is it is now we're we're running short on time so tell us where to find your books and you um i would say go to alistaircross.com because that's where everything is uh, if you go to my website alistaircross.com you can find all of my books you can find me on facebook you can find me on twitter you can find stuff about the show and all the guests that we have on the show and everything that you need to know about me and more than you probably care to <laughs> true yeah, all the links to the books are there. It's it's a very nice website. And I've I've read this book. Well, aside from the fact that we read while we're writing our solos, we read to each other just like we do our collaborations as we write. I've also read this book out loud three times since it was complete, and I'm still not bored. It's a very good, and I highly, highly, highly 
Oh, and I'm so glad you're writing another one. I'm enjoying hearing Me too. It too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm having fun. Well, Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. 